Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show and another episode of our Canton and Simeu series show, which I'm joined by, as the name suggests, Harry Simeu, to have a chat every week about all the happenings going on in the world of Arsenal. How you doing, mate? You well? You good? Yeah, all good, man. Uh, how are you, man? Good to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been a hectic week, busy as always. January transfer window always is, um, but uh, no, it's good to to catch up and have a chat and see how things are. And uh, it's not like there's nothing going on, Harry, in the world of Arsenal at the moment. There's nothing, is there? Just nothing's happening. <laughs> well, that's the problem. There's lots of talk, but there literally is nothing happening. Yeah. That's why everybody's so uh, frustrated about it. I suppose that is true. Yeah, I was trying to be sarcastic about you. When you think about it, nothing has genuinely <laughs> happened yet, uh, which is very true. Um, I do think we're in a situation where, fingers crossed anyway, um, we're going to see some movement very soon. But uh, it's at the moment looking like it may take a few weeks. I was having a conversation with uh, a friend of mine earlier who's, you know, he's got a couple of contacts in the field and he basically feels like if Arsenal are going to get this deal done, it, it kind of needs to be in the next like week or so because beyond a certain period it's going to start to become more unlikely the longer this kind of drags on where do you kind of sit on how likely you think uh this deal is to happening well it's a tough one isn't it i think a lot of people are kind of optimistic about it i think the longer it goes on the longer i feel like it's not going to happen because of the fact that Fiorentina will will obviously feel as though they'll be obviously losing a key player mm. and the fact that, you know, they want to challenge for Europe this season. So uh, I just think the longer this drags on, the less likely it is to happen. And the frustrating thing as an Arsenal fan is that obviously we've been in this position in transfer windows gone by where we've kind of been almost obsessed with doing one mm. particular deal. And then when that deal doesn't come to a head, you end up in a position like we were when we signed Thomas Partey where we were kind of flapping around at the last minute to get that done. So, yeah, I don't think it's very likely. I'd say it's 20% likely at this moment in time. That's that's kind of the, the reading I'm getting of it. That's based on what I'm hearing from other people mm. as well. And, you know, I just it, it just feels like a massive, massive investment. And I think this is very much summer business. Now, does the Aubameyang situation and the fact that Balogun is, is about to go out on loan as well, does all of that kind of accelerate those plans and and maybe mean that we're going to try and bring them forward potentially but it still doesn't mean it's going to be achievable so it's it's a hard one and, and also Tom as well I don't know what you think about this but mm. I feel like all this Vlavic talk is actually shining the light in the wrong direction when we should actually be more concerned about what we're going to do in the middle of the park that's really interesting because I've been trying to contextualise this um, about whether or not I see the midfield as the priority or should the striker position be the priority. And I do genuinely still think that the striker position is is the priority and, and should be. And I know that it seems so clear and obvious when you look at, say, Charlie Patino and Lukonga struggling against Nottingham Forest and Xhaka suffering from COVID. But if... <sighs> I get the idea of why Arsenal want to spend the kind of heavier portion of the window looking at a striker. And if they can get, say, kind of a, a loan or a cheaper deal for the midfield, that makes more sense. Just to kind of get clarification on what you meant, that, do you mean like in terms of the, the deal they should be looking to sign first or in terms of the quality of player for the position? Do you feel like midfield should be the priority? I feel like with midfield, obviously, it's one of those situations where when Thomas Partey returns and Granit Xhaka returns, then it's not that much of an mm. issue, right? But I just I just feel like it was crazy irresponsible to 
allow Maitland-Niles to leave. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about that at some point and, and how that all came about. But to allow that deal to get completed at a time where Thomas Partey, Mohamed Oneni are both away and knowing that COVID is, is pretty much everywhere at the moment and the possibility that somebody could get struck down with it. I just feel like it was in, incredibly naive to leave us in this position. And I, I do genuinely feel like I would rather see a Martinelli, for example, be shoehorned in up front in the absence of Lacazette than us have to play with a makeshift midfield. I, I really, I know, I know that we need a striker and I know that's a priority position as well. But just for me, I think we've got, you know, this, we, we do need a striker, but we've become obsessed with it. And this Vlavic stuff is almost detracting from the fact that we've got, in my opinion, a bigger problem somewhere else in the team. And I'm really, really worried about the prospect of going into the game against Liverpool on Thursday and then the North London derby at the weekend with what looks like a really weak midfield. Yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right in the sense that we've we've made an error with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. We've gone into this window underprepared. Uh, I mean, it's not like we didn't know the African Cup of Nations was coming. Yeah. Why wasn't a deal kind of sorted out way ahead of the January window, even just a loan situation for somebody? Or at minimum, like looking at when we loaned out the likes of Lucas Torreira, having a break clause in, in, in one of those loan deals. Something I don't think many people have talked about is we've got Genduzzi and we've got Torreira on loan. I know that Genduzzi, the political side of that deal, makes that one a return difficult. But at least you look at Lucas Torreira and you'd say having a break clause in that loan contract would have made sense considering the African Cup of Nations was coming up and maybe that's something we could have utilised or something that you then turn around to Fiorentina and say, if you want to get rid of that loan loan break clause, you can buy it out of that kind of contract situation. So the underpreparedness of the, the January window for midfield is definitely a frustration. However, to flip it again, 180 degrees on the other direction of positivity, the fact that Arsenal have decided to accelerate the plans that they had to sign a striker in the summer and move that plan forward to January and recognise there's a real opportunity to, you know, go for a striker and try and consolidate Arsenal's efforts to get top four. That gives me a lot of hope and ambition and, you know, positivity that Arsenal really are taking the idea that they can get to the top four very seriously this season. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. Obviously, I'd love to see Dusan Vlavic come to the club. I just, I just, for me, I just, you can have the best striker in the world. I just think if you've got no midfield, you've got a serious, serious mm. problem. And, you know, as you said, the AFCON has been in the schedule for a long time. Everybody knew it was there. Everybody knew it was coming. I think the the issue with the idea of potentially pulling Terreira back is that what does that then do? Um, what does that then do to your relationship mm. with Fiorentina when you're trying to sign Dusan Vlavic as well? So I think there's there's just so much to to factor into this. I like the idea as well that we are we are trying to upgrade in a really important position and it could go a long way in consolidating us into the top four. However, if you go and get beaten at White Hart Lane and there's you know there's a chance that happens anyway, right? Mm, yeah. Even if you've got your best side, there's a chance that happens anyway. If you go into that game and with a really weak midfield when we all knew that we had time to prepare for this, we all knew that the situation was was one that was going to likely develop into something like this. And I'm, a, you know, I'm a massive fan and a massive supporter of Mikel Arteta. But mm. if this blows up in his and Edu's faces, then serious questions need to be asked because this is completely irresponsible. And it's 
mismanagement of the highest degree. And I, I just can't get my head around how, uh, look, people keep saying about Ainsley Maitland-Niles mm. that, you know, Roma wanted the deal to be done within yeah. a certain period. Otherwise, they were going to walk away from it. I'm not sure that if they wanted the player that badly, delaying them a week was going to be the end of the world, if I'm honest. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's weird to kind of um, to think that way. And, and it just feels like if Maitland-Niles wants to go and you as a manager can sit him down and say, look, I'm going to let you go. I'm happy to let you go. You just got to give me 10 days. You just got to give me a week to get someone in the door. I don't think there'd have been too much issue there. But we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. It, it just For me, it's just an incredibly frustrating position to be in. I mean, can you imagine, Tom, we go to Spurs uh, or we go to Anfield and then yeah, Spurs yeah, yeah. with Laconga and Patino in midfield? I, I can because I can see it happening. Um, but the, for, for my money, I feel like hopefully Smith Rowe will be back by then. And at a minimum, we wouldn't throw Patino in. You'd probably, in my mind, either go to a back three or you go to a 4-3-3 of Laconga kind of playing that single role with Erdegaard and Smithrow ahead. That's, that's what I would imagine would happen. It would leave us quite open, but it could make us more offensive. It's that, that This is kind of the context to the window and where we're at. And the angle that I wanted to take the show and kind of the headline act of, of the show was discussing whether or not the money associated with the deal to sign Dusan Vlaovic is worth it. Um, now... The report that came out from Sammy Mottbell of the Mail yesterday was that the deal would could amount to a figure in the region of £150 million. Now, that takes into account transfer fee, wages, intermediary fees, signing on fees, and all, and, and, and all bonuses if they were achieved as well, which is always something that goes out of context. Like these contracts with wages, talking about £300,000 per week. His weekly wage isn't going to be close to £300,000 a week. That's his weekly wage if every bonus in the contract was ever achieved in one week, which is not very likely. However, just the idea of you know a, a deal which could be to the, to the magnitude of, say, costing us around £60 to £70 million to complete, plus then wages that you'd expect to be between the hundred pounds to £200,000 per week mark. Do you think Vlaovic is worth that level of investment for Arsenal? It's hard to say whether he really is or not at this stage in his career. Like, Obviously, he's had a wonderful 12 months, but Dusan Vlavic is someone who has always shown signs of promise throughout his career, but has at times shown signs of, you know, signs that have made people go, well, I'm not sure about this lad. Mm. And it really feels like, obviously, in the last 12 months, he's, it's all clicked into place. Um, it, it's a really hard one because, again, and the other factor is, and, and as you know, I'm a massive Serie A fan. There's no guarantee that that form that he's showing in that particular league, in that particular competition, can be translated over into the Premier League and, and that the outputs are the same. But if you want to be sitting at the top table, if you want to be competing with the big, the best teams and competing at the top end of the Premier League and in Europe, you need to do this. You need to go out and splash out on the big players, on the players that people want. And mm. when there's competition for somebody's signature, that naturally drives the price up. When somebody is as young as Vlavic is and is making as much of an impact as he is, then the price is going to be huge. And I just think when you, although for me, I kind of feel uneasy about that £150 million figure, which I know, as you said, it's like taking in everything. It's in reality, it's that, that I don't believe yeah. that that is the case at all. Yeah, me neither. But uh, but that figure makes me feel uncomfortable. And then I think, but I also felt uncomfortable 
about paying £50 million for Ben White. And I think that mm. signing's worked out quite well. I also felt uncomfortable about the deal that we struck to sign Ramsdale at the time. And I think that's worked out quite well. I think we almost owe it to Arteta and Edu based on what they did last summer, that if they feel this guy is worth that investment, I guess who are we to kind of say, don't do it, you shouldn't do it, it's wrong. Yeah, I, I said that this morning. I talked about how kind of, you know, we've, we haven't had much reason in the last 18 months to doubt the players that they're looking at bringing in recently. The six signings they made in the summer, all shrewd, already good pieces of business and have all made an impact this season, helped us on our way to sitting in fourth place right now. Thomas Partey and Gabriel Magalhaes in the previous summer window, another two good bits of business as well. I don't have much reason to doubt, uh, you know, the judgment on bringing in players in this new refurbished strategy that they've come up with. And also Arsenal fans, including myself, have been calling on this club to make ambitious moves to close the gap, not for us to get into the Champions League, for us to go close the gap between ourselves and the most elite clubs in the Premier League. And if we are going to compete one day with the cities and the Chelsea's of this world, these are the types of transfers. These are the types of players in this calibre of, of, you know, of players that are being looked at around Europe that we have to going to go and sign. And that fills me with confidence that Arsenal are moving in the right direction, are targeting the right kind of players. And I think they're also being clever because I think they realise that January is going to be the best opportunity they've got to try and secure a player and compete with your Real Madrid's and your Man City's, who, by the way, would be very interested in Vlaovic during a summer window. It's just not the right time for them to approach a striker at this moment in time. Guardiola's already confirmed City weren't going to go for a striker during this window. Real Madrid will be losing Benzema eventually and they'll need to bring someone in, be that an Erling Haaland and Mbappe or whatever. But if they can't get one of those players because someone else takes them, Vlaovic would be very much on their list because of the calibre of player and the goals that he's been scoring and the consistency that he's had at the top level. So it fills me with confidence that we're going in the right direction. Just jumping into the chat box, I did ask you guys what you would kind of be comfortable with paying. Uh, CD's quite broad, uh, saying 55 million to 80 million is what you'd go for. Uh, Oakley says, if Haaland demands 500 grand a week, 250k for Vlaovic would be fine. It's also interesting noting that Chris Wood has just gone to or is about to go to Newcastle for 20 million pounds. I know it's his release clause, so there's a like, context to that. You know what? That annoys me so much that Newcastle you know, the finance of that side has taken advantage of Burnley. We should definitely go to Burnley and say, look, Take Eddie and Ketia for six months and send them down. That's that's what we should yeah. do. We should definitely be helping them out there. Um, Byron says, I would rather spend 70 to 80 million on Isaac, DCL and 40 on a central midfielder. Axelrod says 50 to 60 million pounds max. Um, Troy says, like that guy said, it's not our money. Pay them. <laughs> How, what do you kind of sit on this? Because I've said this a few times. Why should I care that Arsenal are going to spend this amount of money? Because at the end of the day, it's not my money. And he's a very good player. Yeah, there, there is that, isn't there? And, and a lot of us get accused of, of being caught. Well, I, I get it sometimes. Mm. I get called an accountant. Like, why am I so <laughs> bothered and, and wound up and irritated by what it is that Arsenal spend? But I think it's not because it's our money, you know, and ultimately if a transfer works out, nobody really talks about the fee. You only yeah. talk about the fees when the deal doesn't work out the way you want it to. And unfortunately, we've been burned by that a few times in recent seasons. And that is why I think as Arsenal fans, you know, we've seen some players come in, you know, a lot of people don't like Granit Xhaka. He was a big investment. 
A lot of people didn't like Shkod Ramastafi, big investment. Nicolas Pepe hasn't really pulled up many trees, and that was a big investment. And people have seen that it then takes you a while to recover from that in terms of then being able to move those players on and rebuild. And I think it's, for me, it's not about the money, the actual cash. It's about what's laying out that cash means if it goes wrong. It's it's the fear of it going wrong more than the money. And um, and I think that's the difference. We don't want to be in a position again in three seasons where we're stuck with players that we, you know, went big on um, and, and it didn't work out. And then because of that investment and because of the size of that investment, we now can't move on from them and replace. And then you end up getting into a rut and then you end up getting into a, an even deeper decline and you end up where we are now. We're going to jump into the chat box and take some questions as well, guys. So if you do have any questions you'd like to throw to myself and Harry, then do get them in there now. Uh, coming in from Twitch, uh, you need to take, says, uh, sticking to the wage structure, um, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martin and Odegaard all sit on a similar wage. Bringing in a new guy in on stupid money pushes the club backwards. Eddie and Balogun sit on silly, silly money with no impact above these guys. I mean, I was only staggered to find out the other day that Balogun's on £40,000 per week. Like, to me, that's mental considering the fact he's played a couple of, a handful of Premier League fixtures from the bench and one start against Brentford at the beginning of the season. Do you buy into this idea that putting a 21-year-old on our highest wage bracket, considering that Aubameyang is probably leaving very soon, would be a, a mistake from a kind of a, a social standpoint in the dressing room? Yeah, I get that. I get that point of view, and I think it's a fair, fair opinion to have. I just think that if you want to go for the best players, you have to break that structure and break that mould at some point. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you become a little bit like Tottenham. And, and nobody wants that. But what I mean by that is you end up in a place where you're kind of so stubborn that it costs you. And it means that you can't hold on to people. You can't attract yeah. people in the first place. And to take that next step, you need to have the better players. Like, you know, you can you can have a great coach and you can have a great infrastructure and you can have a great team spirit. But ultimately, you need those wow players that are going to get you over the line. And unfortunately, it's the way of modern football. You're going to need to break the bank from time to time to make those deals happen and to keep people happy. You know, we gave Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang a huge deal that was worth way more than mm. we should have been giving him because of his age and all the other things that you needed to take into account. But we had to go over and beyond because that was the only way you keep him. And not only does not doing this or not giving that kind of money to people hold you back in terms of the quality of player, it also shows you to have a lack of ambition, as we've seen in the past. And mm. that also is a problem. So I think it's the way of the modern game is, is that you do need to break the bank from time to time. It, it shouldn't disrupt the harmony in the dressing room too much, but you can understand why if that situation develops for a while yeah. um, and, and, you know, Martin Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, Mill Smith Rowe, who have all been mentioned there, all continue to improve and continue to perform and realise that that disparity in salary between themselves and Vlavic is not reflective of the gap between them on the pitch, then, mm. then you get a problem and then you need to start levelling it out. But it's, it's just one of those things. Wage structures, great in theory, but they're a thing of the past. Yeah, I, I do agree with you in in a sense. I think it's kind of one of those things where I'm trying to think of what the right word is. It's like where you you keep an eye on it, but you're not going the whole way to kind of keep a rigid structure. Like it's you're semi-involved, I suppose, in it. And 
it's keeping bearing in mind that you don't want to put players on too higher wages like I think we have done in the past. You think of Kalasinac, you think of Cedric, players that have come in for a, on a free deal, which has meant that they've asked for a big wage to get kind of the deal done. And I think that we saw that of Willian, of course, previously too, is that we need to be careful about the kind of wages we're giving to these players. And I think we have been a bit smart. I think you look at kind of how we've reined in Saka's contract wage, like... He was obviously very highly thought of, but we didn't put him on stupid money on that renewal in 2020, same with Martinelli. But now we're going to get to renew his contract and we're going to be able to step up his wage in a way which doesn't break the bank to keep him because we didn't put him on silly money on that first renewal. So I think it's about kind of finding that balance between things. Um, Arthur, I love this comment. Can't listen to the show right now. I just came to leave a comment and I like. So thanks for that, Arthur. Much appreciate the support as always. Navarra says, uh, why the Isaac or Isaac hype? Uh, he's overrated and 70 million is ridiculous for his output, especially for who he's scored against. He's a Swedish Eddie and Kettier. What do we make about that, Harry? Bit harsh to call him a Swedish Eddie. And I, I agree. <laughs> just a um, tad harsh, yeah. Yeah, look, he, obviously his outputs are not as impressive on paper as as those of Vlavic. I think off the top of my head, I think he got 17 goals last season, if I'm not mistaken, in all competitions. 17 and 34, yeah. So he is, you know, someone who's shown that he can score goals. Unfortunately for him, this season's been a bit underwhelming in terms of outputs, but he gives you a lot um, in the build-up and a lot mm. in and around the penalty area. And I guess the, the big thing is, does Mikel Arteta want what he's already got in terms of the profile of striker, i.e. does he want somebody like Lacazette who gives you so much around the penalty area but maybe could give you more inside of it? Or yeah. is he looking for someone who is maybe less sort of involved outside the penalty area and more clinical in it? That That's totally dependent on Mikel Arteta. I do think that if we're going to ask the question about the Vlavic price, then we have to ask the question about the price being quoted for Isak as well. That's yeah. only fair because his outputs are less. So mm. to sit there and say that, you know, it's it's way too much for Vlavic, but it's not too much for Isak, I think is unfair. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's just about who fits the bill better. And I, I personally think that Vlavic gives you less outside of the penalty area, but gives you more in it. And it just totally depends on the profile of striker that Mikel Arteta is looking for. I mean, you mm. you know more about Spanish football than me. Um, would you say that that sort of price is, is over the top for Isak? I think it's an incredibly risky investment at 70 million. I, I would be comfortable paying about 40 million for Isak. Um, I think that's fair based on his age, length of contract, his output consistency um I, I think that 40 million is that your 70 million is basically there because that's his release clause uh it's 90 million euros so just over 70 million pounds so that's why that figure's there mm. um well and and Sociedad don't tend to sell on the on the cheap either I mean there are Basque clubs are known for you know like athletic club as well known for kind of keeping uh, players hold, held to their release clauses and and you know I can see the same thing happen with Isaac I prefer a Jonathan David to an Isaac definitely I think David suits a lot more of what Arsenal would want from a striker but he's not going anywhere in January and neither is is Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's the other obvious option too so 
I feel like it's Vlaovic or no one in this window in that position. Uh, and then if that's the case, Arsenal should look to invest more heavily in kind of a midfielder in January, which is more accessible, like a Bruno Gimaraes you could get for around £45 million or so, which I would definitely go for. Um, so, Rune, thank you for the donation, mate. Uh, our depth is worse than I thought. Uh, it's 14 players and the drop-off in quality and our lack of experience is glaring to see, even if we get Champions League. I'm sceptical. Do you expect kind of the, the summer to see a big overhaul of kind of those players in those depth positions like Cedric and Holding and these like players that have been at the club for a long time? We're going to see Kalasnac move on. Elneny's going to move on. Chambers has got not long left on his deal. Do you expect kind of the summer to be a time where we do a massive overhaul of the deeper part of the squad? Yeah, there needs to be an overhaul of that part of the squad, but that was always going to be second, right? That was always going to come yeah. second to building a first team. And actually, when you think about it, if everybody's fit and we've got, you know, Ramsdale in goal, White and Gabriel at centre-back, Tomiassi on the right, Tierney on the left, let's say Xhaka and Partey in the middle, yeah. Odegaard, Smith, Rowe, Saka, Laka. That that 11 is I'm pretty much... <laughs> yeah, and you've got Martinelli as well. That That 11 is there give or take a couple of tweaks and changes. Yeah. And now it's about building depth. But I think you can forgive Arsenal for being not naive, but feeling as though the depth thing wasn't a pressing issue because of the fact that we weren't in Europe this season. Mm. I think that, let's be honest, I think we all, as people and within football, probably felt like the worst of COVID was behind us, only to have it crop up again and be, yeah. you know, just as bad as it's probably ever been in, in the and in, in the way it's affected football. So I think you can forgive Arsenal for thinking that without Europe, they could get by with a, a smaller squad in terms of the quality. But obviously, if you qualify for the Champions League, then you need to make sure that you address that issue. But that should always come second to building the team. So I don't have a major issue with those players still being there. Mm. I just it's obviously a problem now because we're needing to use them. And that's not ideal. Uh, Custard Berry Tart, uh, brilliantly named YouTube channel there joining us. Uh, I quite love one of those right now. Uh, the big question is, does he even want us? He being Vlaovic, of course. The sound bites from Italy suggest otherwise. Did you see um, this drop today? I don't want to misquote it, um, but I think it was a Croatian supporters club. Uh, interesting kind of side of things. They've claimed, and obviously this, you take this with a grain of salt because I haven't been able to verify this information, but there's a claim that actually the tension between Vlaovic and his agent is growing quite considerably. And he is more open to the idea of joining Arsenal than maybe we've been led to believe. Um, how much, it's impossible for me to ask you how much credit you give that, but how? what do you think the likelihood of is, is the idea of, of him actually just not wanting a move and how likely do you, do you think it is that actually his, his real motivations to join Arsenal may be being kept hidden whilst negotiations continue to get the best kind of deal? I think that there's a good chance that he is more open to the move than people are giving him credit for. I think it depends on the guy and and from sort of speaking to people who obviously follow, have followed his career and have, have sort of studied him a little bit closer than I have. The, the thing that keeps coming up is when people say, you know, oh, he doesn't want to join Arsenal, that the common response I get back is, but he's not arrogant. Like he's never shown this arrogance or this like believing in his own hype. Yeah. Can he be a bit stroppy on the football pitch? Yeah, because he's a winner. That's that's the way he is. But I would say that there's a chance that he will see Arsenal, maybe not as his forever move, but as a move that puts him under the spotlight in the glitz and glamour of the Premier League 
on a bigger stage at a bigger football club and then potentially opens the door for him to end up making that sort of mega move. If you think about Haaland, Haaland's a great example of someone who I thought took the sensible steps in his career. It, uh, it was Salzburg he was at initially, and forgive me if I'm mistaken, but there was an opportunity given how he performed at Salzburg to go to one of the big boys. And mm. he kind of, you know, I'm not saying that he turned down a, a much bigger club to join Dortmund, but he, I think he recognised and what his team have done really well is understood that, okay, that's not where you're going to end up forever. Yeah. Or where you're going to finish, but it's the yeah. right next move for you. It's the right next destination. Yeah, that's exactly it's a, yeah. it's a stronger league. It's a bigger club. There's more spotlight. You're going to get to play in Europe. And that's what he's done. And now his stock has risen even more because he's gone to mm. a second league, a second club and still been as effective. I think that that's the model to follow rather than if you're Vlavic, say, no, I'm going to hold out for Real Madrid and then go there and be second fiddle a lot of the time. See your confidence. Then you're 20, 21 years old. You need to be playing mm. football week in, week out. And I think that Arsenal represents a really good next step, even if it's not the final step for him. So I, I refuse to believe that he's completely uninterested in this move. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think there is credibility in that kind of report. Uh, I, as I say, do take over a pinch of salt. But I think that the, the idea that he has utterly turned down Arsenal and he's not interested, I don't think that's the case. I think that he's a player that realises he's basically got the pick of the bunch at this moment in time. And the Arsenal could, with their, you know, the history this year, especially of how good they are with the young players and developing players this season, how much improvement there's been, that it would be a good move. He'd be the absolute star of the show at Arsenal. It wouldn't be like moving to another club like Manchester City, where you've seen, say, 100 million dropped on Grealish. And he's, you know, he's not the star there by any means. In fact, he's struggling to get into the team. And there's no guarantees at a club like that with an Arsenal you would be, and with the way that the fans are, like a player like that would come in and be absolutely adored and be backed to, to succeed immediately. The same as Pepe was, ironically, at the beginning. We're all desperate for Pepe to succeed. It didn't necessarily work out, but I think there are many other reasons as to why that didn't happen. Um, to run with another donation, thanks, mate. Everybody is talking about the top centre forward that we should sign. Think we'll, uh, think we'll another centre forward if Eddie Lacker, Aubameyang leave. Who should that centre, uh, second centre forward be? Just briefly on this, I, from my perspective, I would recommend to when you go and watch my chat with Clive. He brings up a great point about Arsenal not needing to go for a second striker if we let them go and instead going for a wide player and a wide forward that can also operate as a centre forward if you need them to so it doesn't therefore block the path of following Balogun coming through and it also gives you enough cover because you've got Martinelli as well who can operate centrally despite his natural position being more out wide. So I go and check that show out if you haven't already, Turin. Um, Dan says, have you been following the under-21s? I believe they're 1-0 up at the moment against Chelsea. Ole Inca with the goal. Uh, they have the opportunity to go into, is it is it the semi-final or the quarter-final of the Papa John's trophy? Uh think it might be the quarterfinal, but I'm not I think don't it is quote the me on that. I'm I know we play Wigan in the next round, um, but uh, if we go through, of course, and Chelsea and ourselves are, are missing a lot of players with Balogun obviously going off to, to Middlesbrough. But if Arsenal can get into the next round, I'm well up for seeing them continuing to progress because it's showing how good the quality in that side is moving forwards. It also shows why well, maybe we could have brought on a couple of them against Nottingham Forest to grab a goal, but we're not going to linger on that. Um, Peter says, would you offer Genduzi in a straight swap for camera from Arsenal? Hey, I mean, 
Genduzi's gone, Peter, at this moment in time. He's gone. He's he's a goner. So, unfortunately, you're not going to see that deal happen anytime soon. Wes, though, asks Harry, with Vlaovic, we are expecting top four, right? Without him, it would be great achievement, but reality is fifth to seventh place. My question is, what will happen if we get Dusan and don't get top four or Europe at all? Oh, I don't think, let, let me put it this way, I don't think that any one individual player guarantees Arsenal finishing their top four this season. I'll tell I, you what, it'd look be bloody bad though if we didn't, if we spent that much on Vlaovic, yeah. Yeah, it, it just feels to me like we're still, we're still developing, we're still growing as a team. There's still a lot of problems in that team, you know, and yeah. sometimes we've, you know, we've had various points this season where we felt like we've been on a high and like there's no reason why we can't finish in the top four. In other weeks, I look at the team and I go, well, actually, you know what, we're still not quite there. Um, as I say, I don't think that Vlavic coming in guarantees that Arsenal finish in the top four, but to finish outside of the top six, I think is a disaster. I think that because of how poorly we did last season and because of the investment that was that was Mikel Arteta was allowed to make in the summer, plus if he was allowed to make this investment as well in January, then there'd be no excuse for him uh, to finish outside of the top six. So if you're asking me what I think will happen, I think what should happen is there should be serious questions asked of the manager. But let's not go down that rabbit hole now because it's only January and we're in a pretty good position as it stands. Yeah, we are in a, we are in a good position. It's look, if Arsenal can replicate what they did in the first half of the season, I think we probably get that fourth place. Um, I think that the, the fixtures for Spurs, for instance, are much tougher. They've still got to go to Chelsea. They've got to go to Liverpool. They've got to go to City. Do they have to go to United as well? I think they might do. Um, so they've got some really tough fixtures uh, as well. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of where the top four uh, plays out, but. What we do know is that what Arsenal do during this January window is going to have a big, big impact on how Arsenal are able to kind of combat it. Um, let's go to Elliot. It says, why should Juve be allowed a free run at Bruno Gimorai? Surely we can take part in the proceedings and woo him to the Arsenal. This is obviously on the back of the report. Italian uh, reports coming out and claiming that Juve are in talks with Leon, supposedly about a loan with an obligation. I agree with Elliot. The idea that Arsenal could allow that type of deal, which is very accessible for Arsenal during this window to happen, is is madness. What do you think? Yeah, it is. And, and Juventus are the kings of that, aren't they? Of, mm. of kind well, of Italian clubs in general love a loan with an obligation, don't they? So, yeah, they yeah. do. And then they try and find every legal reason possible to get out of the obligation as well, um, <laughs> in a lot of cases. But yeah, I, I think that would be incredibly frustrating if Bruno Gimaraes was to, to move to Juve, in, especially in a deal of that sort of structure. Yeah. Would that indicate if it did happen that Arsenal weren't actually as interested as we thought? Because if you remember a little while ago, and this was brought up on the stream I did earlier today. If you remember a little while ago, we were so heavily linked with Hussein Awar, and now we need a midfielder. Nobody's even speaking about him. Does mm -hmm. that mean that the interest, not saying it wasn't there, but yeah. does it mean that the interest maybe wasn't as strong as we were? I just think he's dropped time? off the radar for us, to be honest. And I think his performances, his inconsistency. I mean, you look at where Leon in the league are, they, I think they're 11th or 12th now they were 14th before they drew against PSG he's not had the the most amazing I think he's been okay he's been decent in some games but overall Leon haven't been very good and I don't think he's actually the kind of midfielder that we need either because he's more kind of your offensive style sentiment isn't he rather than a, a Gimaraes who sits and progresses the ball and you know can be a bit of a dictator from the back yeah so it's just, it's just interesting because 
I've got to be honest, I'm not massive on the French league. I don't know a lot about Bruno Guimaraes. You saw I tweeted the other day and I asked, you know, I asked you, you replied to it as, as, you know, would that sort of money that Leon are asking for be fair for him? I can't really answer the question because I don't know enough about him, but I do just feel like, yeah, if he is of genuine interest to us and, and you allow Juventus to steal in, do a loan with an obligation to buy, then there's going to be uproar, isn't there? Because mm. those are terms that we can certainly match. And and I would argue we can better. So to, to allow a target to go elsewhere on that basis would be incredibly frustrating. Really interesting bit of news just dropping for Brizio Romano saying Yusuf Demir loan to Barcelona will be cancelled. He's prepared to come back to Rapid Vienna. Um where Demir is expected to stay until the end of the current season. That's really interesting because Yusuf Demir on my radar was one of the most exciting young talents and hasn't worked out at Barca, um, but maybe we'll work out somewhere else. Uh, Real Yanis is 21 years old. Vlaovic, I'd pay the money. This team reminds me of the Nasri Van Persie Fabregas Adebayor squad. I'd pay whatever necessary. Well, we'll have to wait and see, Harry, in regards to what happens. I'm going to push you for a prediction. I know you said you're 20% in terms of likelihoods, but I'm going to push you for a simple yes or no. Do we sign Vlaovic this window? No. I no. tend to agree. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with no. Uh, and I think we'll end up bringing in just the central midfielder and not letting Nketiah go either. Uh, I, I mean, saying that, I wrote a, a piece has just come out where I've said that basically, look, if Arsenal are willing to go into talks with Crystal Palace about a move for Nketiah, that signals to me that anyway, Arsenal will be pretty confident about bringing in the striker. But, you know, we've just let Ainsley make the Niles leave and not bring anyone in. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> who's, who's to say? Um, Harry, thank you so much, Matt, as always, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Always good to get together, have a chat about the Arsenal. You can find me on Twitter at Harry Simi and you can find me on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Absolutely. Uh, you'll find the next episodes of the Canton Simu show over on the Chronicles of Aguna. The link to the channel is in the today's description and you'll be able to find today's audio form of this uh, on both of our platforms as well. So make sure you do go and check that out. You'll be able to join me tomorrow morning for the 8am transfer show and then there'll be a preview uh, in the afternoon with Mikel Arteta's press conference set to go live around nine o'clock, I think, tomorrow morning. So that should be all of the team news ahead of the game on Thursday. We'll see you again very, very soon. A fantastic evening and as always, up the Arsenal. 